0: Hey Dave, what's with the uh long black trench coat? Uh leather's back in. Is, is it? it? Yeah, you gotta get it down ankle length. This is huh. just high collar.
1: Aren't you a vegan?
0: Well, it's pl- pleather.
1: Oh. <laughs> oh, that's why. Yeah, okay. I can see that now when I look closer at it.
0: Yeah, there's there's a little bit of cracking going on in the yeah. seams. It doesn't it doesn't age well, but Aren't uh, these
1: is just the old seats of your caravan that you used to have?
0: I uh I had a dodge shadow. Oh yeah. That was Thugs Life. Yeah, that was a five hundred dollar car. But uh, I thought
1: the hydraulics were a bit much on that vehicle.
0: (laughs) The subwoofer would just make the whole thing rattle. Yeah, Uh, but that's how you that's how you hit it in Toronto.
1: Suppose I guess this makes sense for what movie we're going to be watching here today. But first, before you even get to that, I'm really concerned that timer. The timer, like you can see it, it's like six, five, four. That's a countdown. It is a countdown. Oh fuck! We've been counting down this entire time. Where have you been the last few weeks? It's zero. zero. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Where the hell are we? What it's did you a, do?
0: I, I don't know. Why are there plugs in my arms? What world is this? I think,
1: I think we're actually our plugged in somehow.
2: Welcome to my
1: world, idiots. Dave, I uh, didn't have a great feeling about this. There's
0: something post-apocalyptic, maybe even steampunk about this moment, Kyle? I feel, I
1: feel a little it's like, like a- there's a grain filter everywhere I look. In his own garage, Kyle has built a machine. Cobbled together with parts found in his friend's church basement and a dumpster behind the local Dairy Queen, this monstrosity is now alive and evil. Kyle has convinced his friend Dave to help stop the apocalypse by reviewing films The Machine picks. The ultimate purpose is still unknown, and Kyle could have probably done this himself, but he's not being dragged to hell alone. This, this is, is Kyle and Kyle Dave, Dave versus, versus The Machine.
2: Dave.
1: Welcome to Kyle and Dave vs. The Machine. I am Kyle.
0: I was Dave. I'm no yeah. longer sure
1: who I am. And I'm the machine. And uh, we usually sit down and talk about movies as an excuse to talk about anything but the movie.
0: That's what movies are for, though.
1: Basically. Dave, I guess really, the, the machine has provided us with microphones here still, and I, I don't have anything else planned for the next hour and a bit, so I guess we might as well continue on with what we were coming here for. What is your... Where are we going to be watching this week? The Matrix. Ooh...
2: a dream neo that you were so sure was real
0: what if you were unable to wake from that dream how would you know the difference between the dream world and the real world what is happening to me the answer is out there neo it's the question that drives
1: what is your history with this movie dave
0: uh this is one of the greatest movies ever made. <laughs> Sorry. <clears throat> this is one of the greatest. Why laugh? This, this is, laugh. is one of the greatest movies. No, uh, how about I say this? Uh, this movie brought me back to Keanu.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think I'm talking out of turn here when I say that when I was growing up, Keanu was basically synonymous with like bad actor.
0: Yeah, block of wood. Mm-hmm. Bill and Ted, it's Bill and Ted, but uh, what is it, Speed? I Speed think that I was, was really, really into yeah, Speed had and, Come out a few years before and then, this. Uh, he did Point one
2: Break. Of, were you
1: into Point Break? Point Break
0: was great. Uh, so, Point Break, Speed. And then I don't know what flopped in between that I lost interest mm, in him. Yeah. There's Maybe he did few. a rom com. I don't know what he did. I, I'm sorry, Keanu. I don't know what you did to offend me. But I remember this movie came out and uh, I was living in Hamilton still, away from Toronto. And my friends were telling me that I had to drive back to Toronto and that we needed to watch this movie. Mm. And I told them, to essentially go fuck themselves and finally i'll
1: be cold and dead in my grave before i am cut in a movie starring keanu reeves
0: kyle you know me pretty well by now that's literally what that's like if there was texting and dms that would be I enshrined got
1: yeah you have the proof to show it to me. um
0: so i don't remember what uh, my friend juan and uh, john chu uh, finally Said to me, like
1: I, the famous John Chu or the non famous John Chu? Uh, John
0: Edmund Chu. Oh, yeah, he's uh, he's something. No, um, uh, he's not directing dance movies, nope. although uh, those are good dance movies, yeah. So we ended up in a theater in Mississauga. I think it might have been one of the first, like the big, I think it was called uh colossus i think it's called so it was one of the first really really large not a pre-imax but like huge theaters uh movie started and i'm pretty sure i was like arms crossed like this is gonna be fucking bullshit and there's no way that, and then by the time i left that movie I'm like we need to sit here we need to watch that thing again because like my life do you know
1: when in the movie you were like totally bought into it like how far into the movie were you standing there with like your arms crossed
0: i'm pretty sure just the opening sequence right, we can get into a little bit more detail of course but even the casting just the tome mm-hmm. costumes and then of course the bulletin. Yeah. I,
1: It's hard to put that into perspective. I feel now like if this is you're coming to this movie now in 2020, having seen a bunch of movies in the interim, like it's so hard to put in the context like no, like nothing had been done like this before, like nothing had been seen like this. And it was so earth shattering. I saw this. I was still in high school at this point. I saw this on a band trip. Ooh, playing the clarinet that you uh, found out about me last uh, w- night.
0: We just found out that Kyle <laughs> plays clarinet. Correct. That is correct. So that will be appearing on the, uh, <laughs> on the side. things. No, I'm, I'm, I'm going to play our
1: theme song with just my clarinet here next week. I'm
0: just getting Kenny G vibes now. Mm, yeah,
1: we had the choice. I, I can't remember. It was like between this movie and another movie that we could go and see. This is a long convoluted story because my band program was really good in the small town I was in. So we would go on these little band retreats for like three or four days occasionally. Anyway, so for a fun thing, one night, it was this movie or another movie. And I was like, I like science fiction. So I was like, take me to the Matrix. I had not seen a preview for this yet. Didn't really know what this was about.
0: Where were you? Like, what, what township? I, what I county? I think we
1: were in Banff. I think oh, this was interesting. Banff. interesting. Okay. Because these are Banff or Edmonton. I can't remember. Okay. They're so similar, right? <laughs> well, big <laughs> This big is so city long thing. ago. I can't remember exactly where I was. Anyways, so I go there. And literally from that opening, I'm like, what is going on? on like I had never seen anything like that before the special effects were like so ahead of their time uh I, and I just like seen this as a theater experience with like the sound and the action and all this stuff and it's like I have no idea where this is going and the acting performances is like I was totally bought in kind of like you from that almost opening scene and it's just like uh I don't know how to reconcile myself like there is very much for in my life like a pre the matrix and a post the matrix and how much that changed my perception of what films could be now unfortunately uh the sequels happened <laughs> i then not think that they actually really ever captured the magic that this movie did was they, able though? to give did but, they um, happen kyle <laughs> well a, the power uh, of the mind another one coming out this no, year so no
0: i blocked all of it out as much as they.
1: Um, so I'm excited to get into this with you and see maybe if it still holds up. Luckily, the machine has given us this, this Blu-ray copy, I guess, to, to watch. Let's what is Blu-ray? How do you stream that? We just insert oh. it into this, like, disc slot. Oh, wait, no, this is the recycle bin. Soundbite.
2: I feel like I'm getting dumber.
1: Oh, no, let's figure that out. Let's go thank, some, spo- let's go thank some sponsors. And then when we come back, we'll have figured that out, watch the movie, and then we'll talk about it. Hey, everyone. Kyle here. We're still trapped in this post-apocalyptic, green-filtered hellhole of a universe. And I don't know where Dave is, but uh, I guess I'm going to read some ad copy. That should sustain me for a little bit. I haven't eaten food or drank in two days, but good old ad copy should get me through at least another 24 hours. So, Kyle and Dave vs. the Machine is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. The Alberta Podcast Network, if you don't know, promotes and supports Alberta-made podcasts and connects their audiences with Alberta-based businesses and organizations. Whether or not I'll ever see Alberta again, I'm I'm just not sure. However, we do have a new sponsor this week. It's Pod Power. This is the network's new partner program, and we want to shout out Alberta Queer Calendar Project. The Alberta Queer Calendar Project features monthly podcast dramas by queer Albertan writers through 2020. Episodes are released monthly in 2020 and are free to access anywhere you get your podcasts. Listen and learn more about the Alberta Queer Calendar presented by Cardiac Theatre in partnership with What It Is Productions at QueerCalendar.ca. That's QueerCalendar.ca. We're also sponsored by the Alberta Podcast Network this week, so I guess let's listen to one of our other great shows. The podcast you're listening to is a proud member of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB. My name is Kyle, and I'm the host of Putting It Together. From a very early age... I've been obsessed with musical theatre, and in particular, I've adored the music of composer Stephen Sondheim. So I decided to create a podcast where I invite on a new guest each week, and go through each one of his productions, show by show, and song by song. You'll learn about theatre history, you'll laugh, maybe cry, but always, you'll be swept up in the music. It's called Putting It Together, and it's available anywhere you get podcasts. Okay, Holy shit! (laughs) not to spoil the lead, but I think it totally holds up. Okay, five stars. Well, okay, fine. I'm running it that quickly. The Matrix. Let's get through some of this information. The Matrix. Oh, actually, sorry to keep up with the fiction here. Let me push this button, get the receipt here. I guess they still print receipts in this weird netherworld that we happen to be inside of. What was that thing? Squid. Yeah, I guess we'll just be quieter here while we talk about this so the matrix it was released march 31st 1999 the only other major release that happened that day was 10 things i hate about you starring heath ledger joseph gordon levin and julia styles you can see last week's episode if you want to get into more detail about that here is i think the fascinating thing it is currently rated 8.7 on imdb it's rated 73 on metacritic low i think yep and then on rotten tomatoes it's 87 percent by critics but eighty five percent by users, I honestly thought it'd be like way higher from the users
0: yeah, I you know the one thing we, now that we've been sort of reviewing these scores, I wonder what it means to be a user like where that what that data means because you have to be a specific type of person who's passionate enough to put your name. Sure uh, maybe a pseudonym to type up an essay about why you're smarter than the Wachowski sisters and and then kind of like put that out there um. But with something like The Matrix, that must be pretty strong data because there's probably thousands of uh, votes as opposed to like an indie
1: film. Yeah, an indie film type of thing. So, um, I don't know.
0: 85 is still pretty strong. It's still strong. It's, isn't it's that? Strong. But yeah, that's that, the... Is that one, the highest that we've done? No, there was...
1: Uh, Lockstock, I think it was 90 something percent, 92 percent, uh, I think. But I think to your point, I bet you anything that there's less users that have rated oh, Lockstock yeah. than there have been must for The Matrix. Be. Must so, be. It's a little bit of a different thing. It is currently available on DVD or Blu-ray. You can buy or rent it on iTunes. You can also rent it via YouTube or Google Play Movies. And currently you can stream it on Netflix in Canada.
0: Not that we did, but that would be very convenient.
1: It would be very convenient though if you had to stream it really quickly.
0: If you were two people who were going to do a podcast about watching movies and you could just go to one of their places.
1: Netflix would be a great option for that. Please,
0: Please give us money, Netflix.
1: Its budget was $63 million in 1999 that translates to a 94 million dollar budget still not like astronomical like a Mm -hmm. 94 million dollar movie nowadays is like laughable garbage right that's that's that is a direct to netflix movie would be a 93 million dollar
2: movie
0: and to think that they revolutionized the way movies are shot at Mm -hmm. least in the sci-fi action genre with a medium Mm -hmm. medium big studio budget is fascinating
1: Now you will actually see here how different box office works nowadays, because it opened to $27 million, Mm -hmm. which is kind of low ish. But back then you could still rely on word of mouth to actually generate a bunch of more buzz as the weeks go went on. So domestically it would go on to get $171 million and internationally another $293 million to a grand total of $464 million, which inflated for for inflation (laughs) which with inflation is 695 million dollars is what the matrix made so it made bank it made so much money and even today's standards that's a really great return uh like an almost 700 million dollars that you're taking in yes you, you would be considered a hit at that point
0: it's too bad how corrupting that win was that two more had to be made
1: true enough because even the way it that, should have been a Dark City, and no one ever talks about it.
0: Well, let's talk about Dark City. But you know, when it finishes, it's clearly written to just be done, right?
1: I agree. So I agree.
0: whatever that conversation happened, which is basically like, let's just make some more of this money. At, which not to be a slight on the, which I, mean, I mean, yeah, you you the back industry. up a
1: truck is like, hey, do you want like lots of money? And I mean, I I can't fault them for. I'd
0: be like, no, I, I don't. I don't use money. You I'm, capitalist pig. I have, I have ideals. Yeah. Please send me money.
1: Please send me money. The plot description for this movie is somewhat funny. A computer hacker learns from mysterious rebels about the true nature of his reality and his role in the war against its controllers. That's the plot description.
0: But, you know, it was great. It's yeah. succinct. Yeah. It basically tells you nothing. <laughs> right? Yeah. It's like pretty boilerplate for sci-fi. And so when you walk in, like you experienced, mm-hmm. and I, I, I in a way did myself because of my Willing hatred and denial. Yeah, uh, you're not ready for it.
1: No, not at all. Yeah. Um, but even the posters, that are going in, it's like, ooh, this is kind of a weird look, like the leather and the glasses and the green that they were remember. using. Like the little bit. Should and bites. Google?
0: Have you? We should Google the actual original posters. I have option. I have absolutely no idea what the uh, actual marketing would have looked like at the time. Original. Now it's all Keanu with his uh, trench open. I think, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, which is okay. Keanu should have open trench. You can pull it off.
1: I pulled this up on my phone. That
0: was the cover on the DVD. We're, yeah. we're looking at a photograph of, uh, an image of a photograph of a poster that had a photograph in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's the, I remember that being the cover of my DVD version.
1: Mm-hmm. Talking about people who star in this film, Keanu Reeves plays Neo, Lawrence Fishburne is Morpheus, Carrie-Anne Moss is Trinity, and Hugo Weaving plays Agent Smith. So
0: what we would consider an a-list st- like a uh, cast, uh, now, but yeah. I don't know at the time. Not at the time, no. no. Keanu,
1: yes, I would say so. Lawrence Fishburne had some cachet at that point, but the other two I would say no, not at all. Hugo Weaving was born April 4th, 1960. His first film role was in 1981 in the drama, maybe this time as student number two. After a bunch of stints in television, his first acclaim came in the cult classic, The Adventures of Priscilla, Queen of the Desert. Oh. He was also a voice in Babe and its sequel, Babe, Pig in the City. Of course, The Matrix catapulted him into the zeitgeist. He would go on to be in the Matrix sequels as well as the Lord of the Rings films as Elrond and Elrond. the Elf Hunt. But also V for Vendetta, Happy Feet, Transformers, and the first Captain America film. His last film you could have seen him in was Measure for Measure, an adaptation of a Shakespeare play, throwback to last week with our 10 Things episode, uh, but it was set in the modern day. So up next is a film called Lone Wolf, where he plays a police minister. There is no plot description currently. I
0: think that's enough. Police yeah, minister. Wolf. Yeah.
1: Uh, in his personal life, this is going to be interesting for you, Dave, he was diagnosed with epilepsy at 13 years old. And even though he has it under control, he had uh, since his late teens, he's preferred to never drive and never actually learn how to drive. So he's been with his girlfriend Katrina Greenwood since 1984 and they have two children together.
0: Yeah, as I go through this chronic illness and I'm meeting people that are discovering at different stages of their lives, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, so I don't know if it's technically called juvenile, you know, onset, whatever, but when, when kids are developing, A, it's much, much more severe. It's quite mm-hmm. frightening because there's so many different developmental issues, but when you read the stories and I'm aiming to meet a lot more of them in person about the sort of lifestyle decisions they have to make uh, them and their family and everyone around them, it's fascinating
1: carrie Ann Moss was born August 21st, 1967. She started in television doing a bunch of guest spots, although eventually being cast on Dark Justice, where she played Tara McDonald for 15 episodes. Fun fact, she was on a TV series called Matrix for 13 episodes, and you need to look up the plot description for this TV show. I'm not going to get into it here or else it'd be the entire podcast would be about this TV show. Because it sounds like this wild premise that is basically a mashup of Touched by an Angel and Quantum Leap. Oh, cool. It is bizarre. Anyways, take a look at it. The last film she had been in before this film came out was The Secret Life of Algernon in 1997.
0: They made a movie about that mouse? A
1: damn mouse. <laughs> After it came out, she would be in The Matrix sequels, but also Memento, Chocolat, Fido, Disturbia, and Pompeii. In recent years, she's returned to TV being in things like Humans, Whisting, Jessica Jones, and Tell Me a Story. Up next, she'll be in The Matrix 4, which is currently filming. And as a fun fact, she is also the founder of Annapurna Living, a lifestyle brand designed to empower women through mindfulness, meditation, and devotion. Lawrence Fishburne. This is... Apparently, my own bias. I thought Lawrence Fishburne was like so much older than the other actors in this film, and he really isn't. It's like five years older than
0: his gravitas. That's what it is. When he speaks, you he, listen.
1: Yeah, he's only th- he's only three years older than Keanu Reeves.
0: Well, well, Keanu is also is the other way. He's yeah, ageless. He's like never ages. Yeah.
1: So Lawrence Fishburne was born July thirtieth, nineteen sixty-one. His first role was when he was eleven in the TV movie. If you give a dance, you gotta pay the band. He got his break by being cast in Apocalypse Now in 1979. He was 18. He would go on to be a guest star on many TV shows, including M.A.S.H. and how I first remember seeing him as Cowboy Curtis in 17 episodes of Pee Wee's Playhouse.
0: Oh, my God, of course, that's where you...
1: I had the action figure of him when I was younger. That's how much Let's Say, uh, after a couple of cult classics, deep cover and King of New York. Uh, he would continue to be in films like The Color Purple and Boys in the Hood. But also, What's Love Got to Do With It, the Tina Turner biopic, in which he has he was nominated for an Oscar for, currently the only Oscar nomination he has ever had.
0: I can't believe he didn't stop on being Cuba Gooding Jr.'s dad. I mean, that, that for me <laughs> yeah, yeah, was yeah. the Lawrence Fisher m- moment. I mean, nothing we against Ike. We had very Ike. different upbringings, did Yeah, I know. Nothing against Ike, but uh, okay, <laughs> yeah, let's, keep, let's <laughs> move against
1: on. against Ike. In the 90s, he would be in Searching for Bobby Fisher, Bad Company, Othello, Event Horizon, and then, of course, The Matrix. This truly shot him onto the A list because he would go on, of course, to be in the Matrix sequels, but also Mystic River, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, and a few of the Mission Impossible films, as well as Predators. Eventually, he would become a cast member on CSI in the later seasons of that show. He would appear on sixty-one episodes. Oh,
0: did he take over for? Uh, I stopped watching. I didn't. So,
1: whoever the main, the, the I forget awesome how guy. I, I forget how which way it goes, but whoever the first person was, the main guy the on awesome CSI, guy. yeah. yeah. I think he was replaced by Ted Danson and then replaced by Lawrence Fishburne or Ted he was Danson. or he was replaced by Lawrence Fishburne and then Ted Danson replaced must him. Be, I can't remember which way that went.
0: Must have been that way because I, I would remember Ted Danson coming back into the into the TV sphere because mm-hmm. I we were watching CSI at that time. So yeah, maybe Lawrence Fishburne was on CSI. That's fascinating.
1: Yeah. Uh, in recent years he's appeared in Ant-Man and the Wasp, John Wick Chapter 3 and all 64 episodes of Blackish. The next film you'll see him in is Brother's Keeper, which is in post-production. It is a true story about the 2009 Abilene High School football team. Finally, we have Keanu Reeves. Born in September 2nd, 1964, his first film role was the TV movie Letting Go as stereo Teen number one.
0: Was he carrying a ghetto blaster? We, we should had have watch to have it. Been. That's awesome.
1: Yeah, uh, that was in 1985. It was in 1989 though, where he truly came into popularity, where he portrayed Ted in villain Ted's Excellent Adventure. He would be in that sequel, as well as Parenthood, Point Break, My Own Private Idaho, and then Dracula, the one directed by Francis Ford Coppola, and finally Speed, before The Matrix came out.
0: I think it was Dracula that started his downturn on the acting acting level, but I didn't realize that was before Speed, because I really liked Speed when Hmm. it came out.
1: His career was going well, and since that time, of course, he's been in the Matrix sequels, The Replacements, Constantine, the John Wick films, and then Neon Demon. Because of John Wick, there's been a bit of a renaissance, a keanu as some people will describe it, having bit parts in Toy Story 4, Always Be My Maybe, and the upcoming video game, Cyberpunk 2077, which uh, it's like directly his base is like one of the characters.
0: I feel like it was, it was before John Wick. there's something about social media that that gave him his renaissance it was those things that came out well there's memes
1: right there were so many different memes like he became so memeable in like the early 2000s i think that really did catapult him and then john wick came out and then that kind of just exponentially increased his popularity
0: i I might have my timelines wrong but i I remember like articles coming about oh i just saw canon reeves on the subway in seattle or whatever oh and being so nice it turns out his sister was sick and he gave all his money away and but I don't know well, if those well, after. Well, let's come
1: to that because he has been on record saying that like he doesn't care about money. Like he just does. It's just not what he cares about. Well,
0: he uh, I should just good. say
1: that he directed The Man of Tai Chi in 2013. Oh, yeah. I watched that. Upcoming is the third film of the Bill and Ted franchise, as well as Matrix 4. He considers himself Canadian. He was born here, of course.
0: Went to and, my high school for one oh, year. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. interesting.
1: From Wikipedia, while often described as a Buddhist or atheist, including being mentioned on a famous atheist list, Reeves is irreligious and has occasionally expressed a belief in God or some other higher power, saying that he believes in God and the devil, but they don't have to have pitchforks and a long white beard. Recently, when asked by Stephen Colbert, this was actually a pretty um, well-shared moment on the internet and on Twitter, but recently he was a guest on on Stephen Colbert, the late show with Stephen Colbert, and he was asked about his views on what happens after death, and Reeves replied, I know that the ones who love us will miss us. And that was what his answer was, which I think is just a really great, cool answer. Uh, he writes books, has a bunch of charities that he doesn't talk about, mentions how money is the last thing he thinks about, and is an avid motorcyclist. And I think he's really cool. He
0: is. Uh, no, he has. No, he will. No, no. I, <laughs> he, he has become. No, let's keep uh, going. <laughs> he could. He will. No, he's, he's fun. And I, I love that now that he's back, mm-hmm. so to speak. Um, that he's become self-aware as many of the generational talents become in their, I mean, I don't see, he's over 50 now. I'm pretty oh, sure. Oh yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, 61. 60s. No, sorry. No. He was born in 64. So oh, yeah. he would be.
0: Oh, 50,
1: 50 something. something. <laughs> however, however, math was 56. He'd be 56.
0: 50 something. But uh, yeah, that uh, Asian hawaiian is keeping his blood pure. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, no, he, he's great. I love how self, he, what was that movie you brought up? Uh, the Netflix one, um, Always be my his, uh, cameo in that is, uh, I mean, I was LOLing. That's mm-hmm. what, that's what the cool kids are saying, Kyle. Uh, you LOL, you mm-hmm. use that as a verb.
1: So this next part is, I'm going to be somewhat awkward talking about it because I want to be very respectful. When this movie came out, it was credited as being directed by the Wachowski brothers. However. Since that time, both have transitioned into women, so I want to talk about their actual names as they are now. So this movie was written and directed by Lily and Lana Wachowski. Lana was born on June 21st, 1965. Lily was born on December 29th, 1967, and they both have worked together for many years. Uh, As sisters, they have written and directed Bound which is the only movie they they came up before The Matrix came out, which is a good movie. I really like it.
0: Gershon and Jennifer Tilly. Yeah, and
1: uh, Pantaleone is in that one too. The Matrix films, Speed Racer, Cloud Atlas, which I have this really big love affair. I know I'm the only one, but I love Cloud Atlas a lot. (laughs) Uh, And the TV series Sense8, which was on Netflix. But, oh, and they've also written V for Vendetta, uh, even though they did not direct that movie, but they both
0: I really, I really like beef. Also, we've showed up Netflix a couple, like we're getting royalties. Uh, We should at this
1: point. Lana also worked on the show Work in Progress. Uh, Lily did not. Now, so since Sense8, that is when their careers kind of splintered away from each other. I don't think there's any animosity between the two of them. At least none that I have read about or heard about. It's just that they've decided to pursue other things since that show ended. So that is why Lily has gone on to go and write for Work in Progress and Lana has decided to go and work write and direct Matrix Four, like those are two separate projects that they're both working on. Oh, it's not the two of them working. In the Correct. Movie. Okay. Yeah. Now this is me editorializing a little bit. I'll just say that, but I think that their interest in philosophy, them being in the LGBT community and their commitment to swing for the fences is just so refreshing to watch even in their like biggest failure, in my opinion, which is Jupiter Ascending. Boy, do I respect them trying to make that movie become a thing. Because there's no other director and writing team out there that would even try, I think, an attempt something like that.
0: Yeah, I think that's one of the things that, connect, I mean, other than the visual and visceral experience of watching The Matrix, the story and what they're doing there, for mm-hmm. anybody that wants to that delve past people kicking each other in the butt and wearing leather uh, pants, um, the spiritual and philosophical aspects, uh, particularly in the first one, the, the next two, which are stricken from the record in my mind, right. uh, are a mess because maybe they're trying too hard maybe that's a thing I feel
1: like probably studio intervention had a lot to do with that too but uh, for for me too and not to get too psychoanalyzey with this type of thing but it's two trans women making these films about hey let's actually reveal the truth behind how reality works and like even using Uh, different avatars and becoming your best self. I think there's a lot of carryover between like their personal journeys and what the matrix was able to be as an expression before the ultimate end of what that journey was.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, the tension of true self is such a spiritual, you know, paradigm. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. particularly, uh, yeah, when it comes to either any kind of closeted behavior, be it in the LGBTQ, you know, sphere or otherwise, you know, whether you're a sensitive person who just wants to be able to hug people, (laughs) Anytime we have this sense that we are not able to act or be out in public as we feel on the inside, uh, the Matrix is definitely a movie that wants to punch that. It wants to punch you in the face with that and mm-hmm. just be like, "Hey, you're not who you think you are."
1: Let's rip off the band-aid here. What did you love about this movie? Dave? Everything.
0: Sorry, sorry. <laughs> uh, ask me the question again.
1: What did you love about this movie, Dave?
0: Um, everything. Uh, I guess what I mean by that is it was surprising to me. A, how well it held up not just that the visual effects are reasonably acceptable for the most part.
1: I mean not to jump again here like my own minor criticism really at this point is that you can kind of see particularly towards the end towards the the end like some of the special effects are like showing their age a little bit there's still some really amazing stuff that holds up mostly because a lot of it was practical effects still at this time with a little bit of uh CGI thrown into there but yeah some of the CGI is like ooh, yeah I can tell that that's CGI.
0: I think, too, the the themes are sort of universal, right? We, we talked about just now um, the coming out and just kind of being brave enough and being in a position where you're going to search a little bit deeper and dig a little deeper into this shedding of cultural and social norms, which I think still plays really well uh, in any sphere, again, even outside of uh, transition or whatever, but even the basic corporate to entrepreneurial or creative, any of that stuff. Uh, you know what's fun, too, is... Um, I keep using this so I'm probably using this term incorrectly but I keep thinking of everything as a period piece now so I thought it would be put off by the amazing Nokia 8800 flip phones or sorry ejecting cover phones. Hey
1: they're pretty cool.
0: But everything is intentionally anachronistic. I mean from the dial-up modem intro and you go into the CRT monochrome screen mm-hmm. uh, to using you know dial-up payphones them having these space age so-called right. space age phones. That's a hard
1: thing too like this is essentially kind of like a period piece and also a, a science fiction a film. Tech, at the, yeah, right? You know what I mean? Like you know. nowadays with like smartphones and the way that, you know, screens even are like none of the, like the green hues and the dial-up modems and the flip phones, like none of that stuff is really transferable anymore. That experience of what the late 90s were like for technology is it's a completely different world. And actually what interests me is like, are they even going to delve into like, this was really early days of the internet too, right? Yes. I mean, so that, on the they're not or, um, really even Talking about that, really, and I'm curious to know, like, how does the internet now going to affect how Matrix Four is actually presented? Are they even going to delve into that even topic?
0: Well, I'm not even convinced that I. Sorry, I'm not even sure that I'm going to go watch yeah. uh, Matrix Four for this reason. I mean, a that I've stricken the second and third oh, one. Sure. I don't know if I've stressed it enough, but uh, I refuse to acknowledge that <laughs> they, uh, no, they were made. But even you know, so we brought up a great point. Like the internet is, it's been around for a long time in its sub-existence, but on a public and accessible level, Mm. we're still using dial-up modems. Kids, there were these things called uh, dial-up modems, where you plug phone jacks. There were things called phone jacks and phone cables. Was it RJ45? I can't even remember. They had their own uh, uh, acronyms. And the the download speeds were hilarious, right? nine point eight. Kilobytes per second 14.4 was a big thing in 28. So this is around that era. I dated a dial-up modem They play on both the idea that you could download a human being and brain information with a gross You know plug into your brain, mm-hmm. but also every time they're going to the matrix It's a rotary phone and you're not sure how they've even <laughs> Passed through that barrier, you know that one big uh, scene where they're going in to see the Oracle and all of a sudden they're standing in the room It's like this old-school At that time everybody has at least a button phone. Cellular phones are a fairly average and normal at that point and you have this old rotary telephone sitting in the middle of the room on a pedestal. So um, it's it's built so well whether by intent or just it's held up for its own uh, nuances. I loved it. Uh,
1: Well so just to go go back in time here this is by the Pew Research Company and it won't go back to 1999. I can only go back to 2000. But in the year 2000, only 52% of adults use the internet. In North
0: America, I guess.
1: Yes, right? In North America. Now, that's probably going to fluctuate based on age and a whole bunch of other factors. But I'm sure it was a little bit less probably in 1999, right? That is fascinating to me, right? When you think about this movie and how like, accelerated that would be even by 2005, 68% of people were using the internet, right? Like in five years, it just exploded up into being this like majority of people. Yeah, we know what this is. We know how to use it up to now. Like we're over 90% of people use the internet on on a monthly basis.
0: I think too quickly, the word internet means something fundamentally different in 1999 than it does today. True. Today it's this. Right?
1: Yeah. Going to Facebook and Twitter and stuff is very different than personal web pages and right. Uh, Usenets and all the other stuff that was there in 1989. Right. Yeah, right? Bolton boards and all that sort of thing. How do you get
0: service? Where are you going? All of that stuff uh, mm. at, at its inception was, uh, it was maybe more fun in a way because it was less accessible. Like no, you kind of have to go true. work for it. You know, when you're downloading porn images and you have to wait a day to master. Do we have to?
1: Oh my gosh. I know. <laughs> I mean, the true dark ages really, uh, there's a few things I really want to bring up here and discuss about the matrix specifically. So I think, like we kind of started this conversation off a little bit with how of Reeves was interpreted or, or looked at at the time, but I think that he is one of those people that were cast because of his limited abilities in many ways. Like the fact that he is not like the most emotive person in the world. Uh, I don't know. He's able to carry that off in such a great way. I think he is supposed to be that kind of avatar that with that the audience has seen this film from. So he is able to carry that through the entire. Film a lot better than someone who might have been like "quote unquote" a better actor,
0: right? I mean, he wasn't a first choice. To, am I remembering it was not, that right? No, yeah,
1: I believe Will Smith was the first person they actually wanted to be in this movie. From
0: my fanboy uh, memory, and you can definitely backcheck this. They had different actors in mind, and they had to rework the script to work with, you know, the n- mm-hmm. new dynamic of Lawrence Fishburne and uh, and Keanu. But yeah, I wonder again: is it by accident or by intent? You know you get Keanu you do rework it to make sure that he doesn't have to have these anguished Leonardo DiCaprio Roman Juliet scenes where mm-hmm. he's just like weeping tears because this is not where he's at but this movie's being made These new this new decision's made and they're like you know what this you know this is gonna work for oh yeah it's I just gonna those,
1: work like happy <laughs> accents like well, yes your first choices weren't didn't come through it's Sean but, Connery That's, but it's like a way better movie happened I think because they couldn't get their first choices
0: I'm trying to think of Sean Connery as uh as Morpheus it's no, it just, doesn't work well I mean we saw League League of Extraordinary Gentlemen and gentlemen,
1: gentlemen and it didn't work
0: it did not work
1: as we look at 1999 as a whole as we're going through all of these films one of the things that isn't like my pet thing that I keep wanting to bring up is this idea of feeling trapped, right? So going back to Office Space, for instance, right? We, that is a comedy film about some people in an office building who feel trapped in what they're doing and they're trying to break out and become uh, more than just this cog in the machine. In The Matrix, that's kind of how we start too, where where Neo is this guy who's a part of this like software company who's being dressed down by his boss. He feels like he doesn't really belong in this world and finally the truth is revealed and he's actually the one who's going to save humanity. Do you feel that that is... Something specific to the late 90s, 1999, or is that something that would still work today?
0: Well, I think it still works today. I think it's a trope that, I mean, you could make a loose, fun blog post about how the office space and the Matrix are kind of the same movie, which is kind of funny.
1: The seven things that are the same between office <laughs> space and, and, and the Matrix. You will believe, number four. <laughs> uh,
0: but uh, I think that this is definitely a universal theme post-industrial sort of uh, revolution. Um, the moment where the idea of a successful society is that human beings need to be cogs in a machine. I mean, that's explicitly defined Mm -hmm. around the the early ninth or late mid ninth century. Well, and in this
1: film is like, literally are becoming cogs in a machine, right? Like they're. Farming the babies and putting them in as being like the human batteries and stuff like that. So it's like literally becoming a cog in a machine.
0: And we talked about too. I think it was in Office Space how you know there's this. we At least in retrospect, it feels like there's this glory decade in the '80s, like post-war, mm-hmm. and all this stuff's happening. You know, there's this land of excess in North America, and then the '90s become this sort of fun period. But there's growing
1: dissatisfaction. The I think yes. that that is what is starting to bubble up in the late '90s. Is that the '90s were great economically in North America. In North America, by and large comedy was growing great people had like hope and communism is falling yeah like, like everything was going like, everything yeah. was coming up roses at, at, at that point but there was just still this bubble like well everything's great but I'm not happy I'm still miserable right so yeah. what is going on and I think that this is something that these movies are subtly trying to tap into and I know I keep harping on this but it's because I think that so many movies in this period are using the person in an office as being that conduit that we're going to visual.
0: Yeah. The visual metaphor,
1: which I don't, I guess I I just can't remember that being used as much nowadays. Um, there's still the concept of like, I I made for more and stuff like that, but it's not necessarily like this office job is destroying me. It's more that everything in my life is destroying me. And maybe I do have this job here. It's a subtle difference. I know I'm trying Mm. to make here, but it's not that it's the job that's killing them; it's life is killing them nowadays. Rather than in the nineties, like no, it's the job that it is the problem.
0: I, I'm just trying to think of anything I've watched recently. Like we just rewatched Wanted. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyways, we just rewatched Which is 2005, 2006. But that's or when I just yeah. realized it's not that far off from the Matrix yeah. era. Uh, but it's the same trope. You bring up an interesting nuance. Like, is it is the Matrix telling us that it's the programming work, and that if he had just gone to a different company, he'd be happier, or right. is it? that he's living this lie because he believes in an ideal that like, he has that tension where he's this genius hacker. He can make banks bank, they wads of cash selling code on mini disc, mm-hmm. which I didn't even think was an accessible desk I thought it was just for uh, passing ripped uh, movies, but he still goes to this day job, which is a fascinating kind well, of like, and
1: that's the, like to peel back the layers here a little bit. I like I, the whole central point of the movie. There's this, that point right where Morpheus gives him choose between the red pill and the blue pill. And the red will show you the truth about the matrix. Like, will reveal the truth to you. Blue, you go back to your desk job. And you'll just... will turn it And you'll just live out your life. Oblivious to what the true reality is. So the subtext there is that, really, because this is a simulation that you're living in, you could do anything you wanted to. But the only thing that's preventing you is you believing that you can't. And so there is this kind of question between uh, free will and, uh, like intelligent design sort of thing. Not to get too philosophical in our conversation here. It's too late. Yeah. You fucked it up. Do you fall into one of those camps? Like, do you believe that humanity has free will or are you one of those people who thinks, no, like things are destined to be the way that they are and there's not much we can do to stop it.
0: You know, listening to you, I I had this thought, I mean, like we've been trying to do and we failed generally miserably at, you know, 1999, Dave would have interpreted this movie and did in this egocentric free will. Which is the rebellious one? Which is the one that says, "Well, I'm gonna fucking take that red pill." I, I think the parlance with kids these days is, "I'm gonna be woke." Have you yeah. heard that?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: I like being. I don't like being woken by my five-year-old son in the morning, but uh, but All I right. want to be woke. I want to be connected. I want to uh, have this impact. I want to be the star of the show. I think that's poisonous uh, in my later age, um, but it can be empowering. And there's this huge wealth now of uh, personal personal motivational coaches and people that are telling you that you can do it. all you have to do is you know pull yourself up by the bootstraps eat this pill and get out and fucking make a million dollars where i'm at right now is i interpret this movie a little bit uh, the other way which is it's kind of like ravenous a little bit he's conflicted and i think there are balancing terms for example when he sees the oracle and mm-hmm. one of the nuances i think a lot of people Glossed over at least uh, in the original screenings of it was that that room was all filled with ones, right? You know, there's kids bending spoons and playing with the matrix right, and breaking right. the rules, um and so the concept of the one was never, I think, meant to be a capital O one. It was more on the Luke Skywalker thing that, like, you know, when they talk about um, well, I can't remember, like, do or do not. There's no try. Et cetera.
1: So well, I think that 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 hits into something that I have really noticed in myself in the last few years specifically nothing that would have tipped me off when I watched this because I was so used to seeing this type of story but when you look at a lot of fantasy fiction for instance science fiction falls into this trap too but even just like the typical hero's journey right like there is quote unquote the one who is tasked to like go and find like the magical object bring it back kill the evil person and then all is right with the world and I I've started to push back against that narrative because I think at this point, where it's a bit of a lazy construct just rely on the oh, only one person. And that way, the everyone else in this story can get off the hook with their decisions or or not feel bad for not trying to do anything because, oh, it's because this person going to come and actually save us. And I think you see that in politics where like this one person is going to come, and he's going to fix everything. And I don't actually have to do anything because I'm going to either vote or support this one person and the one person is going to fix everything. But that's never how anything works. It has to be a group effort. It has to be a bunch of people deciding, no, this can be better, the world can be better. And so they actually physically go out and actually make that change happen and continue to make that change happen. I'm going to get some emails about this, even though I'm still not like, I'm going to bring up a Star Wars analogy here and and get people mad. Um, So whether you love the movie or hate the movie, but episode eight of Star Wars basically did that specifically. It says, You know, this whole talk about how Jedi's and there's only one person who's going to save us, like, fuck all that. Everyone can be a Jedi, you can be a Jedi, and you can make that change happen in the world. And I at least loved that that was the message of that film. It's like, stop waiting for this one savior to come in and and fix everything. You can go out and fix it now.
0: Yeah, the the overtone of the puritanical uh, base of North America and the culture. But also how that feeds into I think this egotistical lie that it's not even that people are waiting for a quote unquote Christ. Mm-hmm. It's like they think that they are that person. Sure. <laughs> and so when you when you watch this movie with that mindset, you don't leave saying, "Oh well, everybody had this gift." But when you know uh, Neo was finally ready to accept his role in this environment, he was able to transcend. Yada yada yada. Instead, you're like, "Well, I'm fucking Neo." And you know what I got to do is I got to go
1: out and I got to fix the
0: world and people are going to listen to me. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then because we. That,
1: that, yeah, that's actually, no, sorry. Finish your point.
0: Uh, and then we have this, uh, innate need. And I think this is beyond culture. I think this is just a human thing of uh, hero and deity and idol, idolatry and worship. So when a strong character appears, be it, you know, Greta Thunberg or mm-hmm. Donald Trump or, uh, or Mahatma Gandhi, it doesn't matter, like whether, wherever your values are, mm-hmm. you see this in, incredible focus point. And then all of a sudden, you, like you kind of brought up, you want to just give up the responsibility of the part you have to play and then just throw it out. And then what happens to those people that are in those positions ultimately becomes corrupting because I don't want to, for example, Greta's quite young, so I don't want to predict where she'll end up, but you have that much scrutiny at that young age where do you go to? Well, not only
1: me? that, but people are fallible anyway. So of one course. misstep and then that, we're that human you're, you're pilloried and now you're ostracized right? because you made a mistake because all humans will at some point in their life. It's part of our living.
0: It's not just one point. It's like we're always making mistakes. Mm-hmm. I set fire to testatus a couple of nights ago in mm-hmm. the oven after baking a correct set. Yeah. I lit a bunch on fire. Is it because I'm terrible at cooking? Is it no, it's well. like I'm just well, you know, <laughs> <Sure>.
2: sh- shit. <laughs> shit. Kyle? No,
1: I mean I guess what what I actually appreciate about this movie is that Neil constantly Neil constantly is bringing in the rest of the group, right? Yes. Yes, he is again the one and he helps save people, but he is always using his resources. He's always using the other people around him to build that team up instead of it just being like no, I'm going to take this sword and go with it and push everyone away.
0: That was my favorite part in the movie when he decides that he's going to sacrifice his life for Morpheus. Mm-hmm. And then you can tell the Wachowskis are like, well, this woman's going to be like, fuck you. Like, mm-hmm. The idea of you going by yourself is so stupid. Yeah. I mean, the two of us is also equally kind of hilarious yeah, anyways, yeah, yeah. but at the very least there's this female character and the casting's so great because Carrie-Anne Moss is not, you know, a bikini model. She's a beautiful woman, but she's yeah. like, she looks like she'll punch you in the face as well. <laughs> she looks like she could kill me. Yes. And that scene, she's so intense. And she's like,
1: you know, yeah, and, and my favorite thing, that balcony or the balcony, the, um, the construct when they're the hallway against. scene, right? Oh, as you yeah. go in and they're, they're flipping around and the slow motion is happening. And I mean, as a teenager, 16 year old boy watching that, I was just like, this is amazing. And I'm your somehow turned brain, on a little bit. Brain's like, <laughs>
0: melting, man. Like that's a face melting, brain melting scene. Y- you brought up while we were watching, you whispered to me about, uh, one of your favorite uh, scenes being when they're stuck in the, uh, Crawl space between the walls. Yeah,
1: because there's a lot of negative space happening. Beautiful. You've just seen that pillar Single of light, shot. right? It looks like a comic book almost, yeah. but like a beautiful comic book as they're get coming down that and shaft.
0: I, and then I immediately remembered how that influenced like old boy and how mm-hmm. we're so shocked about that beautiful hallway scene as well. The one take, presumably one take fight scene.
1: I will say too, like I actually even mentioned this too. the framing this entire movie is Correct. so on point and the editing is so great. It's, So clean. Um, I mean, I think there's a reason that even this film would go on and win four Academy Awards, right? For best, for the two sound categories, for best special effects, and something else. Now that I'm I'm blanking on it, but uh, it it won a lot of the technical awards, and it's absolutely 100% deserved. The way that everything is cut together, the way that everything is framed, there's this great moment where they're saying yes and no back to each other, and that's where they're cutting the film to, to those responses to keep that thing flowing, it's so different going back to like eight millimeter or something. Oh, it's man. like, we've seen you flipping through these card catalogs for like 35 seconds. We don't need to keep watching you flip through these card catalogs. Or even
0: like Nick, just a bag on shoe marker a little bit, but the like it felt like a 70 minute montage of Nicolas Cage entering the the so-called final arena <laughs> right. and it's like he turns a corner and you're like oh he's still walking and turns another corner oh he's still walking there's another alleyway and it's like oh <laughs> fuck he just entered the garage door like I, yeah, I don't get care just the garage anymore. door just yeah, just, yeah. <laughs> just go and you know do something but the Matrix uh, I mean even the little nuances are still fresh you know with the Morpheus glasses and the two pills and the mm-hmm. two sort of pieces of fate right so the two pills Incredible. are
1: in- specifically what I want to bring up right so uh, in a moment I'm gonna ask you what pill you would have probably taken uh, then versus now.
0: The morning think, after no.
1: That's not yeah, no. Point. What what I think needs to be addressed, and I don't want to gloss over it, is the fact that how this film made by two trans women has been very much co-opted by the men's rights activists who oftentimes will call themselves red pillars because they are the ones who have like uh, thrown off this mask of chosen society and we've chosen like the truth and stuff like that i will say like the entire concept of like men's rights what they at ad- what these <laughs> i have to be careful here what they proclaim they advocate and what they advocate sometimes in practice or sometimes two very different things i am on board a lot with what they normally say i think there should be more conversations about like men's suicide for instance and the way that men are portrayed in media and that sort of thing domestic violence against men circumcision education the conscription social safety nets like family policy and family law like hey i'm right there with you but very often especially when they get on to like reddit and other communities this devolves much more into a um let's hate on women uh especially let's hate on trans women uh, uh that that sort of kind of messaging sort of thing um, but i do want to have that as a point that the matrix has inspired that to a, to a degree where people always say that they're using the red pill to like speak truth when a lot of times they're just using that to cloud on their own, like hate speech.
0: Yeah, I, I know you've been, uh, wanting to bring up as well, the sort of presumed social impact of a movie like this had on, on the violence that's happening in America, et cetera. Mm-hmm. But listening to you describe that, it makes me think about what you asked me before. Do I believe in free will or let's call it fatalism, nihilism, yeah. cynicism, so many isms. There's a lot of good isms out there.
1: That's what they tell me. yeah.
0: I think what's interesting about bringing up, for example, uh, I'm gonna do like very fierce air quotes, but men's rights or men's like Mm -hmm. it's, I mean, that's a fucking blurry line, Mm -hmm. you know? What's men's advocacy versus male chauvinism? Like uh, all of it's kind of very weird. So the the two things, like you take any theme, it doesn't even have to be the Matrix, that they appropriate red pill blue pill is just because I think of the power and lasting, you know, um, awesomeness of a film, but people are just looking for excuses to. Either face or live in denial of whatever they're fearing, and that's going to be a very nuanced and individual thing. But people also like to be in groups and have this bias about well, if I have this internet forum and I have fifty followers, that means that we're all right. And um, now, I'm j- now where yeah, get I mean, excited. I think
1: where it really comes into play, especially in this year, 2020, there is a U.S. presidential election coming on. We just had an election last year in Canada.
0: Oh, good. We're going to talk politics.
1: I think it is a true statement to say that as the wealth of the Western world has increasingly gone to like that top one or 2% of people, like it gets into obscene amounts of like how much the super, super rich have versus everyone has. Yeah. Comprehensive. So you're seeing like this squeezing of the poorest and even the middle class, like like 40 years ago. Yes. I could graduate university, put a down payment on a house, raise a family, all this stuff that my parents were able to do that me, even if I was paid the same as they were being paid back then, wouldn't have a hope in hell. There's just no way that we could possibly do that. And so why I bring that up specifically is that this whole idea of like how society is supposed to work has completely disintegrated in the last 15 years specifically. And I feel like a lot of people are starting to feel lied to and that's why there's these pushes to be like, oh, like I'm actually gonna speak the truth because all this stuff is also interrelated. And yes, you, okay, boomer, Had this great life because you were able to use all these things in the way that they were supposed to work and me as a younger person are not able to to have the same lifestyle because of a bunch of other interrelated factors
0: i'm going to counterpoint that i i think just in personal reflection over the last couple years of me changing my life spiritually and the i wonder if the correlation of the last 15 years that you brought up actually has less to do with anything significantly changing about the society we live in and more about be it social media or wokeness whatever our personal and again i'm overusing the word ego but egotistical expectations are getting out of whack we're starting to believe as individuals that we are entitled to a mansion and that if i'm not driving a bmw that i fucking failed my life whereas boomers weren't like that actually boomers are grinders you know a lot of them where they come from is a place that we can't comprehend, you know, particularly war generation uh, folks, even in the States, um, whether you were still part of, um, you know, let's call it the uh, entitled white something, something, something. I mean, they lived through the depression to get to the war. They fought through war grinding out, watching their kids die and watching the, you know, the birth of communism, blah, blah, blah. And then even in the fifties in America, it's not like everybody suddenly got this like wallet of cash and like, you can do whatever you want. Like people had to, Live. It's why boomers have specific social nuances. They have fridges that are filled to the brim and they yeah. have bunker mentality and they have uh, a lot of their own psychological uh, sort of identities, right? If you look at the course of macro wise of, of humanity, humanity has always existed in this like 0.0001% uh, riches and then serfs. Mm-hmm. And we actually, I think, are actually plugging more into this matrix esque lie that we're supposed to be something more than we are all the time. And we have this American marketing gimmick that that's actually true. And while there's spiritual growth and you know, you as an entrepreneur, you are growing. I don't think that that's because you're entitled to it as an individual. I think it's more just, this is what life is. You put in work, you've got values. You've put in focus for media lab, for podcasting, uh, for Apple tech, right. Mm-hmm. Um, for wearing glasses, whatever it is, right. Uh, specific types of this, that, and the other thing. Um, and so life generates something back. So again, going back to this idea of free will and, and the predetermination, I think those are human constructs. Uh, I think at the end of the day, um, we have a lot of fear right now. People are buying toilet paper, right? Or have been, we'll see.
1: I, the, the counter counterpoint to what you're saying is, is, and I, and I take that a hundred percent. I think that there is this mentality uh, it, it's really easy to start pointing fingers and be like, "You had it so easy." When, well, there there was a bit of struggle and and perseverance that older generations had to go through as well. I'm not necessarily doing the argument of like the people who say like, "I want to have you know the mansion and the fast car and all that kind of stuff." I'm more saying I, I'm just looking to friends that I have in the United States. This is a very United States centric thing where I think a lot of their frustrations are as young people, you know, in early twenties of being like. I cannot even conceive of a time in my life where I'll be able to afford to go to the doctor, or I cannot even conceive of a time where I'll actually be able to buy a house. Like that just is completely a foreign concept let, to me. Let me quickly cut in, yeah. you can
0: move to Michigan, mm-hmm. I think still, and buy a house for $16,000. I mean, the, the US is a very skewed place. Yes, I mean, uh, healthcare for sure is, a, and, and there's sort of like yeah, uh, monetization of every industry is, in itself, a, a dark corruption that ha- deserves its own conversation. But it, it gives you that expectation again. If you're living in, let's say New York city, you're yeah. like, well, I'll never have a house. It's like, well, fucking that country is huge, fertile. There are incredible metropolises across great swaths of land. You can move to another, let's say Midwestern city, have access to all of these amenities and live in a, in a unit paying 110th one, one hundredth of the living costs that you do now but you also feel entitled that you want food culture and I want to be part of the Manhattan sphere. And I want to live in San Francisco. And I want to be part of that's, this is what I'm talking about. I, I'm worried that a lot of it. And, and again, there are legitimate changes. Yeah, uh, for sure. The cost of healthcare there is ex- mm-hmm. not just extortion. It's, it's a, it's a death sentence. Yeah, it's criminal it yeah. literally. Um, but there's also this thing that when I hear some of these stories, it's not like I want to live in you know, downtown Detroit either, but you know, it's it's uh, there's something like Canada's a little bit more tense for that. There are actually very few places in Canada you can live where the balance is still there. Because for us, because the land here is not that arable, you move out of Calgary. Let's say you go to Saskatoon. Yeah. Saskatoon Saskatoon's quite expensive. Or Winnipeg, you give up a, a lot more, right? right? And especially Toronto, Vancouver, and spreading out. There's not a it's not that uh, dense. But in the states, come on, I mean, every capital city in each state has this huge culture that you can buy into. People just don't want to.
1: I look forward to the emails people send us. I'm ready to fight. I'm ready. (laughs) Um, And of course, I'm not a great debater. so Um, I'm sorry. Red pill versus blue pill. What would you have picked in 1999? Would that be different now?
0: Uh, Yeah. No, always red, but I think what I think a red pill has changed.
1: Yeah. This is, this is where I'm coming from too. I think that in 19, (laughs) I could answer this very Pedantically, which is like, and your entire life is a simulation and you're living in a computer program. So eat this red pill and you'll be woken up and you'll be able to see what reality is, or take this blue pill and go back to being, uh, ignorant about it. To be brutally honest in the year 2020, I might take that blue pill and be like, you know what, I just, I'm, I'm not a freedom fighter right now. It's just not something that I want to <laughs> but this is try the, and engage in. Do you it's think
0: like, the tone is that you have to fight for something by taking the red?
1: I mean, in the fiction of the film, yes. Of course. Right. Yeah.
0: Because it's visual. Right. And it's set in a, yeah, steam. Yeah, world. Like,
1: so it's hard to say. It, it, when I was 16, absolutely. Red pill all the way. like, of course, I take the red pill. I want yeah. to know the truth. And nowadays it's like, I don't know, if my niece and nephew are complete constructs, I'm I'm fine with that construct and I can live with it.
0: <laughs> well, yeah. yeah, I mean, <laughs> that's an extension of like, yeah, you take this red pill and maybe you'll find out that, you know, you're not yeah. even a human being, which actually is very possible. At, yeah. After
1: this conversation, I'm I'm sure of it. Yeah.
0: (laughs) I wonder I wonder if I would look at it as if at a very loose level the red pill is awareness and a willingness to grow, Mm -hmm. and the blue pill is stagnancy and this defeat of just, you know what, like you're always gonna be unhappy, so just lie down, you know, and just take it. Then I think you have to change the red. But if yeah, the red- so is a p- I
1: think that's the, that's the, sorry, the other sub point I had is like, if I was going to look at it just in that narrow sense, but if I look at it in a more broader sense of like, do you look at the red pill as being open your eyes to see what your true possibility could be and then pursue that? Yeah, of course. I'm, I'm, I would want to see all that information. It reminds me, I use this quote a lot, so I apologize, but there's this episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. I'm pretty sure it's season three.
0: Episode
1: Mm, I I actually, I want (laughs) to say it's eight, but I don't know if that's true. Oh my God. Of course. Anyways, the, the whole concept is that there is a side character by the name of Cordelia, who has a genie and she makes this wish. She wishes that Buffy never came to Sunnyvale. Smash cut to the very climax. One of our main characters, Giles, the librarian, who's also the watcher of Buffy, the vampire slayer, has this amulet that needs to be broken in order for everything to get returned back to normal. Of course, he's in this, like, you know, side universe, right? He doesn't know about, like, quote, unquote, the reality. And the genie says to him, it's like, whoa, wait, stop. It's like, how do you know that that other reality is going to be better than this one? And he's like, he takes this moment, and he's like, because it has to be. And then he smashes it onto the eye, and everything kind of goes back to, quote, unquote, normal. And so I think about that in relation to the Matrix, presented with that, that fact of being like, do you want to take the red pill and then try and make society a better place? Like make the world a better place than what you found it in? I think that's a noble goal to take of being like, whether that's like ecological conserva- uh, conservation or trying to make sure that um, lesser fortunate people are able to pursue what they want to do. That is what I'm looking at as far as like the red pill versus the blue pill, doing nothing and just keeping that, keeping your head down and pursuing, and going on with your life without making any meaningful changes.
0: Here's my thought on that. And we've discussed privately about, particularly I read, I've been reading a lot of sort of like surface level Buddhist uh, Mm -hmm. philosophies and texts and things and Taoist. But if I'm going to uh, posit that good, bad, these value statements we add onto things are human construct. When I look at the matrix and you're talking about uh, being woke means making the world a better place. Isn't that just, isn't that actually taking the blue pill? It isn't the red pill that he ex- has to accept that he lives in a world where those cities don't exist. He's eating slop for the rest of his life. That He hasn't even seen Zion yet, mm-hmm. thankfully, because he didn't have to yet watch the sequels. So he lived in a better world already. But what he was accepting wasn't so much the empowerment to go into the computer world and make the world a better place. It was that he had to go into this false world to break computer overlords. I think so that we're he come basically back,
1: basically saying the same thing from two different angles. Well, because because yes, he is accepting the fact that he is living in this worse place. But it's not like he's like, well, I'm eating gruel for the rest of my life, and I don't have to do any action. I'm just going to sit here and eat gruel for the rest well, of my life. Well, he's actively that. trying to make that a better place, his new reality a better place, rather this than going mean, into the matrix and making that one a better place.
0: There's a sort of a, a thing I came across about. Um, the idea in some Buddhist writing about hopelessness being the most important wall you have to meet. And without hopelessness, you can't actually act. And so when you have all these fears and denial and then you have expectations and dreams, you get paralyzed by them because mm-hmm. you think you have something to lose. But when you hit a wall where you realize there's nothing to lose, because like either you could term it in a negative uh, sentence structure like, I'm fucked and my whole life is shit. Or in this fatalistic thing that I don't actually have control over what I'm actually doing, where I found myself, um, then you have this other sense of free will. So I don't know if they actually oppose each other. And the red pill, red pill, blue pill for me as a metaphor was, and now as a forty-two year old, becomes more about um, this willingness to take action to do whatever I think, you know, works with my values, as opposed to this hero narrative of like fixing something.
1: <laughs> I. I get okay. Maybe I'm see. This is the inaccuracy of words. I I yes. honestly think we're saying the same thing, Probably. but I'm just using the wrong words. In no, in no, your, not
0: wrong. You're just using your words, I'm, yeah. and I'm hearing something different too. Which so,
1: is yeah. which is I'm if I'm just looking at myself, I'm not necessarily focused on like some preconceived like I need to hit these certain goals at this certain point in my life. It's like I like doing these things. How do I continue doing these things because I enjoy doing them? And, and that's what my, (laughs) that's what my joy is. So I'm just going to keep finding ways to do them. And if other people want to come along for the ride, cool. And if I can then use that to help other people, that's also a great benefit of that. But I'm not in some preconceived notion of like, I'm keeping up with the Benjamins or I have to achieve this certain thing in order for me to be happy. It's like, I'm finding something that makes me happy. So let me just pursue that and go down that road.
0: I think I completely agree with you. I think that's the difference between you and I having this conversation about this movie in this format on this podcast, as opposed to creating an incel group on a forum. Sure. Uh, And that's going to get us some hate if any incel person actually listens to this, which they probably won't because it won't be on their algorithm. But when you have... Machine,
1: can you put it on their algorithm? Already done.
0: (laughs) Excellent. I can't wait. Yeah. Let's find some leather jackets. That's right. Noah, if you have a measured approach, whether it be by upbringing or by your life experiences or by where you're at that moment this empowerment becomes something like you're talking about, which is um, something more intuitive, whether we use the word joy or, or love or fun or whatever it is. Um, and it's not so much that you can have a paying career eating things by just having fun always. I'm learning that you can't, uh, at least not uh, immediately. But if you chase and do those things that give you wealth in life, then you'll be woke in action as opposed to, like I have unsubscribed from news feeds because I don't want to be that woke. I don't think I'm taking a blue pill because it comes to me anyways like you're talking about bringing up the the men's lib I think that was a soft argument I think you're trying to imply a harder one that there are people that have quite violent and very phobic uh, intentions that would take a movie like this and use it as an empowerment to harm other people Correct. and to be to be cruel or to be at least selfish enough that they think everybody else needs to suffer for their uh, goals I think those are small people and I think their idea and definition of empowerment is just uh, part of their denial and you know, psychological problems Sure, uh, and it's very limited because, uh, like you just said, we, this movie grows 600 and something yeah. million. It's not like everybody watched it became a terrorist.
1: No, no. And yeah. I don't want to make it sound like that. That's yeah. what my argument was. I think no, that there's a subset and this happens with so much fiction is that oftentimes the stuff that has like the most positive, uh, themes inside of it is often used in very negative ways or Weirdly, when it comes to people like Orson Scott Card, who is also like a raging homophobe and transphobe and stuff like that. But you wrote this beautiful book about acceptance and like, anyway, so that's a whole other topic that we don't need to get into here.
2: We're done here.
1: She said that we have to wrap this up. We've only been talking for an hour and 20 minutes. we
0: probably need a part two because we haven't talked about the movie at all. (laughs)
1: <laughs> Do we ever talk about the movie? I guess to, to to just put a fine button on... I'm very sorry, Machine, but just to put a very I, fine not, button on...
0: I took my red pill, Machine. I'm on to you.
2: I'm going to steal your head.
1: Do you think this movie is still culturally relevant?
0: Yes. Why? I think for this, the fact that we can have this discussion. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, an interesting thing that you're bringing up, uh, or we are, I suppose, in this conversation is, well, you get what you get or you see what you want to see, et cetera. So when we have seen this film and we have this discussion you know uh, we're looking for something i think that's very similar just why we can sit in a room looking at each other and not uh, want to cartwheel in slow motion and shoot each other in the face right,
1: right. it's a very weird room they'll have a pentacles i find that are coming closer to it's us pretty
0: gross yeah yeah i uh, do want to leave
1: <laughs> um we'll figure that out here in a moment
0: yeah i don't know but the the core of it like many of the films that we like is something that's. Uh, more at its base human which is um uh, spiritual which is this question that all of us worry about which is i think some kind of summary is what am i doing here you know why can't i feel great all the time and is this all there is to life and like sane and more uh full people have very uh, strong sort of i think I-, I believe narratives around that that they can just push through stuff and more acceptance and tolerance and kind of what i think and then people that get smaller like i definitely used to be become very embittered in that but that's why movies like this whether you still agree that maybe neo should have been a woman and why are there more uh, black people doing this and you know whatever whatever the criticism might be from a specific perspective the core of this movie is this very base question about uh you brought up one what am i doing and two if you were able to and somebody offered you a way out would you be strong enough to take it and look at what it takes to do the work. It's not like Neo took the pill and just became this, uh, he didn't mm-hmm. become Iron Man. Like the Oracle's like, it's his life or your life. You know, you're not it. You you're Like right now, mm-hmm. you're not the one. You're gonna have to kill yourself. Well, not really, but you're yeah. gonna have to make the decision to give your own life to save another. Um, I mean, think about the the impact, uh, that's a timeless idea.
1: Yeah. I mean, one of the things that we didn't really even get into is like how much like Christian imagery is like all sure. over this movie. and as a very non-religious person, what I always still appreciate, there's this one core tenet of, you know, you're, you're of service to humanity. Like that is really what a, a big Christian message is, is I guess God is like the overseer and he's the one who's really going to judge everyone at the end of the day. But at the, at the end of it, like, what, what are you supposed to do? Help your neighbors, be a kind person. Like that has all the, those tenants that are written over that. And I think that that's infused throughout. This text as well.
0: Well, bringing in this idea of how you see it, I actually see it the opposite way. I I see this as a storytelling, a vehicle of uh, not an anti-Christian, but of a broader spiritual sort of experience. Because the fundamental idea, of even the word, the term Christ, is that it's just this one. It's happened. It's been ordained that he was the coming of God, et cetera, et cetera. I mean he walks into a room where everybody can bend spoons already the christian sort of narrative is broken for me Mm -hmm. and it becomes more of a star wars idea like luke skywalker is not the only jedi right he's a jedi who becomes the you know fundamental hero of this one story people in america and, and fanboys worship him like a christ which comes to all this virulent fucking criticism of everything that happens outside of that one little microcosm of the universe but I feel like the Matrix is even better because they're kind of showing you whether you see it or not. Like Trinity and Morpheus can dodge bullets essentially at some point. You know, maybe not dodging them, right? But they're doing car wheels and slowing down time and doing all this bullet time shit as well. It's not like he's the only one who has any power in this universe. Um, that he has fundamentally more. Uh, I, for me, I read that more just yeah. now. No, I thought there. it
1: was. I, I'd forgotten about that scene where he actually you know, fed the entire army with like one fish and one loaf of bread. Um,
0: <laughs> and in matrix two, he comes emerging. was a emerging, cool like original concept the that the Wachowskis yeah. thought of. Yeah. What would you rate this movie? Five. Sorry. What was the question again? <laughs> Let me think about it. I would uh, give it a solid five.
1: Yes. Uh, I am right there with you. I think this movie definitely holds up. I have, I recently watched it just a few years ago anyway. So this is something that is very high on my list. Uh, so this is the second movie, by the way, Dave, and that we have both given a perfect five to. So do you think this movie deserves to be above or below office space?
0: I, I think at some point we're, we'll have to discuss the, I, the concept behind comparative measures here and what yeah, these stars yeah, actually yeah, mean, yeah, I but I was surprised watching office space, how it still holds up for me right now. And that might also be nostalgia. Um, it's a tough one, Kyle. I think I'm still put the matrix ahead of office space. Yeah.
1: I'm aligned with you there. Yeah.
0: But uh, I wonder by the end of this year, if we'll have to shake a little bit of this conversation up just because I'd watch both of them again. I've own, I still own both of them on, you know, mm-hmm. uh, forgotten media, DVDs and Blu-rays. Um,
1: we'll see. I'm going to, I'm going to plant the flag right here. I think it's going to be knowing some of the films that could be coming up. Matrix is going to be very high up there no matter what. It might, remain our number one for the for the rest of this season
0: quickly do you know if it ranks like for example i mean afi is kind of a weird thing but is it on lists of top 50 top 100 it doesn't make usually not games. no yeah that's too bad because mm-hmm. I, as much as i like to agree with many of the options of seminar well this is weeks. one of
1: those movies though too like we mentioned this in office space right office space is never going to be nominated for like any best of awards but it's something that still is watched today is still talked about is still memed about The, the matrix is exactly the same way. Still talked about, still watched, still talked, debated about, we spent an hour and a half talking about it. So, I mean.
0: It came up in a movie Helen and I watched uh, that was produced, like released hmm. this year. It was interesting the other night when we were speaking about 10 things I hate about you, it was not last night. No, it was totally
1: not last night. That was um, a whole week ago.
0: When we were leaving your room uh, and not the (laughs) studio, uh, and I happened to come across a young lady by your home uh who was this looking is
1: going south very quickly
0: i <laughs> was looking for a stapler yeah uh i made an office space joke and she got it And yeah, it's the right, same right. kind of thing like uh, that i i had to judge visually i don't think this woman she's probably 15 years younger than me right mm-hmm. and uh, it's immediately uh remember i mean those are fascinating things when movies can transcend yeah that's themselves. great yeah.
1: so entering our list at number 1 is the matrix Um, If you want to see our entire list of movies that we've watched and how we have ranked them so far, you can go to our letterboxd. That's letterboxd.com slash kdvstm, which also happens to be our uh, handle on everywhere else. So that's on Twitter, on Instagram. Uh, And if you want to email us at machine at gmail.com to tell us why we're wrong or what you agree with, you can definitely do that as well. Let me just push this button here. Want to hear some trivia? Yes. Legendary Hong Kong stunt coordinator Wu-Ping Wan initially refused to work on the film. Even after receiving the script, which he liked, he hoped that by asking for an exorbitant fee, it would turn off the Warkowskis. It didn't. So he next formulated what he considered an impossible request. He said that he'd agree only if he had complete control of the fights and that he trained the actors for four months before they shot. And the custody's complied with his request so this is one of those things where you try and like i don't really want this i don't necessarily want to go and work for the next few months so i'm just gonna ask for like this really high number and then you have to be like oh okay well i'm gonna do it now if you are gonna give me this money to do it this is probably why it's 63 million dollars for his budget they probably pay 15 to him to come and do all this stuff
0: you know it's amazing i hear two sort of narratives one like the entrepreneurial thing you know you hear this a lot like you gotta ask for the thing that you don't think you can get to, yeah. to find your work. But I'm suddenly thinking. I mean, I know it's the Wachowski uh, sisters' now second sort of big movie project. But how humble are they that they are willing to just know that this is what it needs to be? Because there are lots of other stunt coordinators. There's lots of martial arts people that would drop. Right, but he is the best. So we should let's get the best. Yeah, like the Jet Li uh, Renaissance and the Jack Chan Renaissance that happened. They're like, we need, we need real action, not shaky cam. Peter, Paul, Greengrass. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. Mother yeah like we need to see what we're doing did that get violent sorry
1: so all the scenes that take place within the matrix have a green tint as if watching them through a computer monitor while scenes in the real world have a blue tint blue is also used at a minimum in the matrix scenes since the directors thought blue was more of a real world color the fight scene between morpheus and neo which is neither in the real world nor in the matrix is tinted yellow hmm To prepare for the scene in which Neo wakes up in a pod, Keanu Reeves lost 15 pounds and shaved his whole body to give Neo an emaciated look. Or what I do when I go out on Friday night, am I right? Newer sets of identical twins were cast as extras in the woman in red scene, in which Morpheus takes Neo through a computer simulation of the Matrix to create the illusion of a repeating program. Example, the tall man with slicked back hair and sunglasses in the opening shot is seen a few seconds later as a police officer writing a parking ticket. Oh, interesting. Uh, in an online interview, when the film was first released, the Rakowskis revealed that they'd both take the blue pill when given Neo's choice.
0: This is the thing, though. It's interesting. Mm-hmm. It's like, what do they mean? Uh, like, What is what what that they, question, actually? What mean? does the pill represent for them? Mm-hmm. And actually, now I'm thinking about it when they're like, how much... When did they ask that question? Like immediately in the press it must track? have been in 1999, yeah. It's fascinating because they're still not out yet. So mm-hmm. what? how many layers are there about uh, mm-hmm. the denial? I'd be
1: interested to ask that same question now. Yeah, fascinating. Hugo Weaving stated that the character of Agent Smith was enjoyable to play because it amused him. He developed a neutral accent, oh, oh but with God. more specific character for the role. He wanted Smith to sound neither robotic nor human.
0: What a creepy way to respond. What a Hugo Weaving... <laughs> Why did you choose? It was music. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. Yeah, he's, I mean, and we haven't talked about it at all, but we should do a second episode. I mean, Agent Smith alone. Yeah. Is, oh my God. What seems, a great character, right? Yeah. And he's. Iconic character. He's. Mr. He did Anderson. It. He's somewhere right in between. And we didn't talk about the cancer. Of the, actually, Kyle, we should come back to this. We didn't talk about the cancer of the planet. We didn't talk about all these things. Yeah, you weren't able things. to do all
1: your favorite quotes and stuff Fuck. like that. Well, anyway, I'm sorry. Maybe, maybe if we could start a Patreon and do like an after the episode episode
0: just on cancer. That's that's me. Yeah, I'll be happy. Uh,
1: according to Lena Wachowski for the slow mo bullet ripple effects. Sound designer Dane A. Davis put bullets on strings and whirled them around his studio. Also, he digitized raindrops against window panes to create the sound of the matrix code. All right. Well, that is our episode on the matrix. I've given you already how all the different ways that you can contact this with. So I guess it's time to find out what movie we're going to watch maybe next week if we escape this place
0: yeah can i pull this pin thing out of my neck uh
1: well let's just find out what we're gonna watch first let me just do this uh oh we're gonna see go next week
0: Ah, i think i've seen i'll be in ecstasy for it right Ah.
1: oh look at you Mm. um i think i've seen clips of it i don't think i've actually ever seen the entire movie i'm
0: not sure i've actually watched the movie either but uh yeah all
1: right i guess i I don't know try and unplug
0: no it's not coming out it's not coming out